Oh, my God. 
After 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
בכל יום מחדש, אני מודה, אני נרגש, כל נשימה, חיים במתנה. בכל יום מתעלה, הלב מרגיש ומתמלא, ומתוכי פורצת מנגינה. בוקר טוב עולם, בוקר של כזה, כל החושך
special day we call it Shabbos. Spending quality time so unique. One day of rest every week. It's beautiful to be a part of Shabbos. We don't have a choice because we have to rest. Feeling so much closer that it's just the best. Running all around the love of talent.
J.M. in the A.M. Good morning. It's a Friday, Erev Shabbos, and that's Shlomo Katz, who uh, we are likely going to be speaking to at some point next week. Don't want to reveal too much, but we're going to have some good news regarding NSN and Shlomo Katz, as we've been hinting to for the last uh, couple of weeks. Uh, Shlomo Katz with Bowie Vishalom, the Who and Am Mekadashe, done by Yehuda Green. <clears throat> Shlaimi, <clears throat> excuse me, Shlaimi Gertner with Shabbos. Shalom Yisrael done by Miami. Mordechai Shapiro's Boker Tov. Erev Shabbos Nigun was Joey Newcomb. And of course, Regesh Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. It's Friday on this January the 28th, day 26 in the month of Shvat, the year 5782. Tough Shin Pei Bays. It's Erev Shabbos Parshas Mishpatim with candle lighting time. At 4.48 on this era of Shabbos, 4.48 is your candle lighting time. Make sure you know when things start where you are. We will bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow. Rosh Chodesh Adar Aleph will be Tuesday and Wednesday. Going to be a big laning week. Rosh Chodesh Adar Aleph will be on Tuesday and Wednesday as we get set for the uh, first of two months of Adar uh, for this year, during this leap year. Again, Tuesday and Wednesday, Rosh Chodesh, a reminder from JM in the AM. 31 degrees with 54% humidity. Winds are west at 6 miles per hour. Cloudy today with a high temperature of 34. Then tonight, 5 to 8 inches of snow and a low temperature of 19. Snow and wind for Shabbos with a high temperature of 21 degrees. Right now, 42 in Yerushalayim, 31 in New York City as we say good morning at JM in the AM. And yes, we are expecting this... uh, What do they call it? Bomb cyclone? Some type of really uh, difficult snowstorm. Blizzard-like conditions expected in the area. And that'll happen, uh, I guess, uh, starting tonight through Shabbos in this area. So if you're in the New York, New Jersey area, be careful. Actually, if you're anywhere in the Northeast, be careful. If you're anywhere on the East Coast, the storm may hit. I was even told that the temperatures down in Florida, which are usually pretty reliable to be relatively warm, are going to be uh, highs in the 30s over the next couple of days. So the weather is certainly uh, throwing everybody for a loop in a lot of different areas. Keep that in mind. A uh, listener, Tikva, says Shabbat Shalom from Petach Tikva. It is cold. Yeah, it is cold uh, in Petach Tikva. It's actually cold in a lot of areas of Israel where you don't expect it to be. 
Listener Morris says, uh, good morning, Nahum. Wow, what a mix of beautiful music to get us ready for Shabbos. So glad I woke up early this morning. Good Shabbos to you and Stacy, and the entire staff and listening audience. Thank you very much. Thank you, listener Morris. Yeah, we've done a good job with the music, and that's much appreciated, your message. Also, listener Ralph is out there. He texted me overnight that he's going to be spending Shabbos in Ranana. That is our chairman, Ralph Rosenbaum. Um, and uh, let's see what Ralph wrote to me. I think he said he'll be tuned in, didn't he? I think he mentioned he'll be tuned in. Um, we'll be in Ranana for Shabbos, candle lighting at 4.50. That's funny, just the same t- around the same time as us. Um, I'll try to listen this morning and wish the audience a good Shabbos. Yes, uh, Ralph wishes everyone a good Shabbos from Israel. We wish everyone a good Shabbos. And uh, it is pretty amazing that he's in Israel, frankly. I am jealous. And I'm somebody who's been in Israel a couple of times over the last year, but uh, I am jealous because the moment things opened up, Ralph said there's only one place to be, and uh, that place is, of course, the Holy Land. And he acted on it and uh, is spending Shabbos uh, is spending Shabbos there now, uh, which is pretty remarkable, pretty cool, and pretty wonderful. It's a collective from all of us here at JM in the AM. We have a scheduled weekly update coming up an hour from now. Rabbi Yudin, of course, uh, Harry Rothenberg in the 7 o'clock hour, Rabbi Yudin in the 8 o'clock hour. About Parshas Mishpatim and plenty more happening on a Friday hour of Shabbos. Keep it here at JM in the AM.
scala Yeah. 
the soldiers said or how the rain would pour. Zadie always kept a smile and wiped the tears away. Nothing could ever keep him down when he'd start to say, It's Shabbos now, Shabbos now, and I will sing.
JM in the AM. It's Shabbos now. That's done by Eighth Day, of course. That is uh, an amazing classic already. Anim Zemiros from Zevi Weinstock and Ari Zucker. Zusha with Vachad Odi. Kikel Melech. That's eight time cats brand new here at JM in the AM. Listener Terry says she uh, missed the snow in Efrat, but we'll get some here in New York. That's an understatement. Uh, she's heading back to Israel on Sunday, and we'll give Reb Shlomo Katz our regards. Thank you. Let him know that I am uh, on the mend. <laughs> At least I hope I am from uh, uh, being under the weather a little bit for the last uh, few weeks. Uh, and uh, hopefully he and I will have a chance to speak on the air this coming week here at JMDA. And that is my hope. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSingle.com and the NachumSingle Network. And, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Yeah, I haven't felt 100% since the... Uh, time about three, four weeks ago when I completely lost my voice and it was impossible for me to speak on the air. But we're working on it and hopefully uh, things will continue to improve. Please, God. Candlelighting at 448 here on this Erev Shabbos. 448 here in New York on Erev Shabbos. Parshas Mishpatim. We'll bench Rosh Chodesh Adar Aleph. Rosh Chodesh Adar Aleph will be Tuesday and Wednesday. Rosh Chodesh Adar Aleph will be Tuesday and Wednesday. There'll be two months of Adar this year, as you know. Again, Adar Aleph Tuesday and Wednesday will be observed. Uh, Malcolm Holmline scheduled. We'll do the weekly update in the 7 o'clock hour. Harry Rothenberg as well in the 7 o'clock hour. Rabbi Yudin in the 8 o'clock hour. <coughs> Wrap things up at 9 a.m. Eastern time. At 10 o'clock, it's the Kedem presentation of the Arab Shabbos show with Mark Zomik. That happens at 10 o'clock this morning right here on the Nahum Siegel Network. Big thank you to our friends at Kedem. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast next to Jam Dan. ולעיצה על השעה שתיים, שלום רב באולפן אלעזר בן לולו עם מה שקורה עכשיו. ישראל חתמה על הסכם עם חברת נובה ואקס לרכישת חיסונים נגד קורונה. במסגרתו יסופקו חמישה מיליון מנות עם אפשרות לרכישת חמישה מיליון מנות נוספות. כתבתנו המדינית מוריה אסרף וולברג שפרסמה לראשונה את דבר ההגעה לעסקה עם החברה, מעדכנת כי החיסון צפוי להגיע ארצה כבר בחודשים הקרובים. הוא נמצא יעיל נגד זנים שונים וצפוי להינתן בשתי מנות. בתוך כך מספר חולי הקורונה המאושפזים באורח קשה ממשיך לעלות ועומד עתה על 952, 212 מהם מונשמים. מקדם ההדבקה מתקרב לאחת, כך מעדכן כתבנו לענייני בריאות שי פרידמן. המחלוקת על בידודי הילדים. בית הדין האזורי לעבודה מורה למנכ"לית משרד החינוך ומזכ"לית ההסתדרות המורים להיכנס להליך הידברות מזורז שיתחיל במוצאי שבת. על הצדדים לעדכן את בית הדין ביום שני בבוקר במצב הדברים, ואם לא יגיעו להסכמות, הסתדרות המורים מתבקשת להודיע באילו צעדי מחאה בכוונתה לנקוט, ואלה ייבחנו על ידי בית הדין. תוקפו של הצו האוסר על ההסתדרות לנקוט צעדי מחאה הוארך עד יום שני. כתבתנו לענייני חינוך הילד ברון מוסיפה כי בהחלטתו הבהיר בית הדין כי המדינה לא הייתה ערוכה ליישום מתווה ביטול הבידודים וכי שביתת מחאה קצרה יכולה להיות ראויה במקרה בו המעסיק אינו דואג לסביבת עבודה בריאה ובטוחה. הניו יורק טיימס מדווח כי יושב ראש האופוזיציה בנימין נתניהו פעל לכך שסעודיה תוכל להשתמש בתוכנת הריגול פגסוס של NSO בזמן שבו נחתמו הסכמי אברהם עם איחוד האמירויות. עוד עולה בתחקיר שפורסם כי חודש אחרי ההסכם פג תוקף הרישיון של סעודיה ומשרד הביטחון סירב להאריכו בשל דיווחים על הפרות זכויות אדם מצד הממלכה. בנוסף, בבולשת הפדרלית בארצות הברית, ה-FBI, רכשו מ-NSO גרסה של פגסוס וזו הותקנה במחשבי הארגון ביוני 2019, למרות שלא נעשה בה שימוש. 
עשרות פלסטינים משתתפים בשעה זו בהפרת סדר ליד הכפר בית דג'אן באזור שכם. המתפרעים מיידים אבנים ומבעירים צמיגים אל עבר הלוחמים. כוחות צה"ל מגיבים באמצעים לפיזור הפגנות. על פי השר האדום, מספר פלסטינים נפצעו ומקבלים טיפול רפואי במקום, ידיעה שמסר כתבנו הצבאי דורון קדוש. מזג האוויר קר מהרגיל לעונה, גשם יורד לסירוגין בצפון הארץ ובמרכזה, מלווה סופות רעמים יחידות. בחרמון ובצפון רמת הגולן מוסיף לרדת שלג. בצפון הנגב ייתכן גשם מקומי. קיים חשש קל משיטפונות במדבר יהודה ובים המלח, והצפות מקומיות בערי החוף. מחר יוסיף להיות קר מהרגיל לעונה, רק בשעות הערב ייפסק הגשם בהדרגה. ואלה זמני כניסת השבת, פרשת משפטים, שבת, שבת מברכים לחודש שבט, אדר א', בירושלים ב-4.5, בתל אביב ב-4.51, בחיפה ב-4.39, ובבאר שבע תיכנס השבת ב-4.52. ואלה זמני צאת השבת מחר בערב, בירושלים ובחיפה ב-5.47, בתל אביב ב-5.49, ובבאר שבע תצא השבת מחר בערב ב-5.50. לכל מאזיננו, שבת שלום, אלה החדשות.
J.M. in the A.M. with Yehuda Green, Anna Bakoach. Before that, the Weinrub brothers had Me'en Olam Haba. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, J.M. in the A.M. with candle lighting at 448 in New York. We'll bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow. Rosh Chodesh Adar Aleph will be Tuesday and Wednesday. And um, the snow is on the way, as you have probably heard, in the New York, New Jersey area. A uh, big snowstorm expected starting tonight, going through Shabbos. In Israel, the uh, snow seems to have uh, have fallen wherever it's going to fall, but the cold weather in Israel, or at least colder than usual, uh, apparently still remains. And that is the latest weather update here at JM in the AM. Harry Rothenberg has uh, something to say regarding Parsha's Mishpatim. Here he is at JM in the AM. There's a story told about the great sage, the Baal Shem Tov, that he once told one of his disciples that this week's Parsha with all of its laws about interpersonal relations and financial transactions and courts is really all about Gilgulim. What are they? Recycled souls. Sometimes a soul doesn't accomplish its mission while down here in this world in its host body. Or maybe it and its host body do something wrong and so it needs to come back for round two. It's not happy about that. The soul would prefer to stay up in heaven in eternal repose, but it doesn't have a choice it's sent back down. The disciple said to the Baal Shem Tov, what are you talking about? The Baal Shem Tov said, go to this specific forest and go to this specific clearing in the forest where there's a fountain and just hide and sit and watch and don't say or do anything. So he did. Wealthy guy shows up at the fountain in the forest, takes a drink, but when he's leaning over, his wallet falls out of his pocket or his coat, he doesn't see it, and he leaves. Second guy shows up to take a drink, sees the wallet, there's cash in it, he pockets it, he leaves. Third guy, a pauper, shows up, takes a drink, lies down on the ground to take a nap, and then the first guy shows up looking for his wallet, accosts the third guy. Where's my wallet? He says, after waking up, I don't know what you're talking about. He says, yes, you do. You stole it. He says, I didn't touch it. I don't know what you're talking about. So the wealthy guy kicks him, punches him, slaps him, and then leaves. The disciple goes back to the Baal Shem Tov and says, what's going on? The Baal Shem Tov says, I'll tell you. In a past life, that first guy took money inappropriately, illegally, unethically, via a court case from the second guy. So that money had to come from him in his new host body and go to the second guy, who was the one who had lost the money. And the third guy was the judge in that original case in a past life. And he hadn't prepared properly and was too lazy and didn't look at the evidence, and so he had issued the wrong opinion. And so he deserved a slap or two or three. And so he got that. So you see from this that there might be some issue that you feel like you're constantly working on. It's always a problem for you. You don't realize. You may have been working on this for a lot longer than you think. Since a prior lifetime. And if you don't get that issue right this time, your soul's going to have to come back a third time. So fix it now. But I still have one question. I know my question is not, how did the Baal Shem Tov know this was going to happen in the forest? I have no idea. He was the Baal Shem Tov. Here's my question. I get it. I understand why the first soul had to come back got to pay that money back that he took, or his host body took unlawfully the first time around. And I understand why the third soul had to come back. He's got to get that slap or two or three that he deserved. But why did the second guy have to come back? Just to be repaid? That's like a getting wrong twice. He got the money taken away the first time, and now the second time he's got to suffer the pain or indignity of having his soul come back down to earth in another host body instead of having eternal repose up in heaven. Maybe we can suggest the following. That second guy had every right to hold that grudge until the grave and not forgive that debt, not forgive that money. 
that was taken away from him unlawfully. But he had a choice. He could have gone the extra mile, could have gone beyond the letter of the law, and he could have said, even though I'm entitled to hold on to this grudge, I am forgiving that guy. Had he done that, well, now the debt's forgiven. There's no reason that his soul has to come back to be repaid. And maybe the other two also don't have to come back once that debt is forgiven. Now, I'm not suggesting those of you who owe money not to repay it and then hope the other fellow forgives you. But what I am suggesting is that if you've got money that was taken away from you wrongly, think about it. Forgiving that debt may end up giving you immeasurable rewards for eternity.
Descends on Friday night, a stillness fills the air. I see a Jew who seems so distant, standing very near. He's passed this way before, he might just live next door, but somehow he's someone we've ignored. He watches as we walk to show our hearts, so full of love, dressed up in our finest to thank the one above, yet none could find a way. Make time in their day to ask him if he'd like to come and pray. Just one Shabbos and we'll all be free. Just one Shabbos, come and join with me. We'll sing and dance to the sky with our spirits so high. We will show them all it's true. Let them come and join us too. One shout is coming, join with me We'll sing and dance to the sky With our spirits so high We will show them all it's true Let them come and join us too I said to him, hello, my friend He seemed a bit surprised I wished him a good Shabbos Confusion filled his eyes I've seen you all before I'd love to learn much more But I've never done it all I'm just not sure I asked him won't you join with us To understand and see He came and stayed a while And thanked us happily Next Shabbos came along His feelings grew so strong He first began to feel 
J.M. in the A.M. with uh, Micha Gammerman. Pretty effective Tfilot Shabbat medley, to say the least. Jesse Green had Muggy and Elbows. Had just one Shabbos we did was Benny Friedman and company. Moshav Band had Vishamru and Tzayshem Shalom to open up that set. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, Parshas Mishpatim. Candle lighting at 448 on this uh, Erev Shabbos. 448 candle lighting in the New York area. Make sure you know when things start where you are. We'll bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow. Rosh Chodesh Adar Aleph will be Tuesday and Wednesday. There are two Adars this year. Rosh Chodesh being observed for the first one, Adar Aleph, uh, Tuesday and Wednesday. 31 degrees, clouds and a high of 34. Massive snow expected here. Snow and cold in a lot of places here on the East Coast. Even Israel is uh, experiencing some snow this week, as we know, plus uh, some cold weather in different areas. And um, and um, we are, as, as I said, we're expecting major snow in this area. Be careful out there because it could be a pretty rough Shabbos weather-wise in uh, New York and New Jersey. Uh, don't forget our friends at JewishWorldReview.com. Those of you who want to print out thousands of articles before Shabbos about Israel and the Jewish world, feel free. JewishWorldReview.com is a great resource. Check it out. And enjoy. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. With us Fridays at this time for the weekly update. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Appreciate that very much. Before we get started, uh, I just wanted to mention that um, uh, there was a, uh, for us in our community here, it was a, a very difficult and sad week. Many of you out there in the audience are aware of the fact that uh, uh, the Honorable Assemblyman uh, Sheldon Silver, who served this area in a capacity of government and as a capacity of a, of, a leader, of a leadership role for many, many decades, passed away earlier this week. And uh, I just wanted to say one thing before I turn the, um, uh, the microphone, if you will, over to Malcolm. And uh, that is that a- as his uh, family sits Shiva literally uh, across the street from where I am sitting right now, um, I would like to remind everybody, and for those of you who are unfamiliar with the history, I'd like to at least make you aware of it, uh, that um, that uh, despite the way the um, the courts and the legal system and the media have uh, painted Shelley Silver 
uh, over the last few years, and maybe even longer than that, uh, I would like to um, uh, contribute uh, to the story as a member of the community where he served and as somebody who was the uh, recipient of his kindness and generosity. Uh, I would just like uh, everyone out there to know that um, he was, in fact, a very kind, gentle, humble, and giving person who did a tremendous amount for this community, for individuals and families, and certainly uh, for the people of the state of New York. And um, in light of his passing, and with the and with the um, tendency we have uh, to focus on what the media wants us to focus on, I wanted to make sure to focus on that. And I cherished my friendship with him, and um, our, our friendship grew strongest when we were both attending the Bialystoker Shul Hashkama Minyan during that period of time in my adult life when I was uh, a regular at that Minyan, and those are encounters I will always treasure. So we remember with great fondness uh, the, um, the man and the life of Sheldon Silver and extend our condolences to his son and daughters and, of course, his wife Rosa and their extended family who are now in the Shiva period. And Malcolm, uh, as I said, I'll now turn it over to you. Well, I share all those sentiments. I'm, I knew Shelley for so many decades from when I came first to start the Soviet jury uh, movement and conference on Soviet jury. He was there. He had been active in that as he was in all the other causes, and he showed up for so many of the events over the years, and even as he rose in political power and prestige, he always continued, and that was his core identity. I think a lot of people, or a number of people, have to do a lot of soul-searching because the conditions that led to his passing, I think, were horrific and inexcusable, that people who committed far worse crimes or accusations of crimes were let go, and he, at his advanced age and in poor health, was uh, was released for two days, and then they called and made him go back, which is uh, unbelievable torture, I think, and the uh, that all those who did not and could have made sure that he he was out for COVID, at least the reasons, and not put in solitary to protect him, um, it's I think it's a burden on their conscience, hopefully, and uh, people should be doing a lot of thinking. He, he deserves the tribute you paid to him and that we all would, and we extend our condolences uh, to his family, his really wonderful family, and his wife and everyone. Um, I know that some of his children are very close to mine, and they were wonderful people, so I hope, uh, I hope they will find an Nahama. Uh, well said, and I'll just add, because I want to make it clear that um, we, we will never know just how many causes, um, initiatives, organizations that are dear to us, uh, in addition to everything I said, uh, were helped by Shelley over the years. So I wanted to mention that as well, because there are a lot of people out there who could tell us uh, about, especially now, after his passing, uh, could tell us a lot about the commitments that he made and how he came through for so many especially people and, um, and initiatives that uh, began with very difficult circumstances. Weekly update here on a Friday morning broadcast. JM and the AM, Malcolm Honline is with us live via telephone. I mentioned last week that we would uh, ask you about the um, uh, what, what your take is on this Anne Frank story um, in terms of who, quote-unquote, turned in her family. And maybe you could discuss it in the, 
in the greater um, uh, picture of the Holocaust Remembrance Day, which took place yesterday. I, I thought, and again, I don't remember everything from year to year, but it seemed to me uh, that both on local level and on an international level, the day got a lot more attention than usual. I don't know if you agree with that, but what are your thoughts both about the Anne Frank uh, revelation or, or, or possibility, let's put it that way, and Holocaust Remembrance Day? Well, first, I do agree that it got more attention. Uh, I think a lot of that has to do uh, with the rise of anti-Semitism that everybody is feeling and the Holocaust denial, that it becomes more and more uh, rampant. Uh, we see the, the examples around the world that we've talked about, the anti-Semitism here. I saw that uh, a report that came out of the Jewish community of France from uh, the college uh, Juif de Lyon, in, uh, and the, the, the result was um, uh, that the uh, uh, 75% increase in anti-Semitic attacks um, and that uh, people, as opposed to buildings, were account accounted for, I think, 45% of the incidents, which is amazing. This is not a swastika on a, on a, or a tombstone you know, that's done anonymously, but personal assaults on people and use of weapons sharply up. I think that the numbers here, we see governments involved now, Algeria, others that the United States and Europe are, are going after, the, where you see it officially, and the rise in countries like uh, Poland, Germany, elsewhere, which uh, Poles and Israel show overwhelmingly people are reacting to and could go on for a long time, unfortunately, about the uh, results, but one that said that 95% of American Jews are deeply concerned and more than half have uh, have experienced anti-Semitism. So that creates a, a climate, I think, and raised a level of concern that uh, enhanced the attention paid to it. I think also uh, there were uh, more assertive efforts that um, uh, and with the diminishing number of, of survivors and the focus on them and their story, you know, it's 80 years old. People forget. Unfortunately, still the polls show that the many young people don't know and don't uh, can't recognize the names, not of Auschwitz, not of other concentration camps, uh, or the number six million, or what the implications are. So, the there were a lot of uh, reasons. The thing with Anne Frank. Um, and the decades-long search about who betrayed them, uh, and then this uh, former FBI agent and others got involved, and they came to the conclusion that uh, the head of the Jewish community at the time gave their names, and the name was on a piece of paper that had been given to Otto Frank and his father. Um, but there are many who today dispute it, and people in Holland and some I've spoken to say that, that, that they do not believe that the conclusion is right, and that it was, uh, you know, it's, it makes for a great book, and they did a lot of detective work. They studied many, many documents. It's not, I don't think they reached a conclusion of hazardly, but, uh, you know, it's, eight years later, it's very hard to take a cold case like that and try to resurrect the, the uh, information. There are reasons why they concluded it, and, um, and it, it's not impossible if you be, put yourself in those circumstances. Uh, my wife's uh, grandfather was put exactly in that circumstance in her in in the town in Poland, and when the Nazis came to him and said to give a list of ten people to be deported, he, he the next morning and he showed up at this town square and they, he gave him the names of his family, and he was shot on the site, and there's a lot written about it. 
So there were heroes, even in the, amongst the Jews in those circumstances, and there were others who may have succumbed to human nature and trying to save their own families. Well, we can't uh, figure it out. Doesn't justify it. Right. But uh, but, it, but it does. Give we us... shouldn't we shouldn't jump to the conclusion that this this is absolute gospel truth. Right. Uh, what a chilling story. Thank you for sharing that with us. But it does give us, uh, even though obviously we're not justifying it, it does give us a perspective. I, I thought the whole story with this Anne Frank uh, situation at least gave us a perspective of what people likely often had to go through um, during that time and the decisions they had to make. And obviously we, we hope they made the right decisions. But just the fact that people were faced with that type of circumstance, I thought uh, just for that alone the story was worthwhile. Um, sometimes we forget that there are so many different layers of suffering that people went through. And what you just described is certainly one of those layers of suffering. Um, well, uh, let, let's talk about the possibility of Ukrainian Jews being evacuated to Israel. How likely is that going to be? Well, in, in a situation of conflict, um, I, I, for one, do not believe this should be talked about. I think making the public announcements was a, is a big mistake. It sends the wrong message to the people of Ukraine while they're organizing home front defense that the, the, all these announcements are made of how they're going to take the Jews out. Well, they, they did talk about elderly Jews, Jews in need, and that would have been different. I think it's no reason to go public with that now as opposed to taking the steps organizing so you can take out the most vulnerable and maybe others. And if people want to go on Aliyah, that's fine, but they should do it, not... Uh, abandoning uh, the country, which becomes fodder for the anti-Semites, and we know that Ukraine has anti-Semites. The fact that, despite the fact that the president, prime minister, defense minister are all Jews today there, um, but my hope is that there will be no war, and those who want to go on Aliyah in any event and, and for their own motivations uh, should do so, um, and God willing, nobody will, will be hurt. Uh, does it look inevitable? Uh, compared to uh, one week ago, uh, I think it looks more inevitable, <laughs> if there's a phrase like that, uh, that there's going to be a conflict between Ukraine and the uh, and, and Russia. How, how does it look a week later to you? Well, there is a conflict, and if you know Dumbast and these other areas, it's, it's been a hot war, it's been a cold war. Uh, I think that Putin, that the message that the Europeans and the United States sent, um, although I think sometimes... You know, making public statements also about not having troops or having troops and stuff. There's no reason to show your cards when you're dealing with somebody as smart and shrewd as Putin. Uh, I think that um, having 100,000 troops on the border is not something you can sustain long term. You know, the economic conditions, although the price of oil shooting up makes uh, makes Russia much more economically stable, uh, being the largest exporter of oil, and the, the the dependency of Europe on on gas uh, from um, uh, Russia is another topic that we should talk about sometime. But I think the the um, if the West really puts the markers down, and that the economic implications will be very severe, and that they will actually do things and not send confusing messages, there has to be a consistent position uh, from the, the powers in Europe and the United States and others. Uh, I think Putin. Reason. I think he has already succeeded in putting the agenda together that he wants in front of everyone. So he can say that now, you know, the United States, the president has reached out to him. NATO's reached out to him. People are talking to him about his concerns, which they did not do until now. The United States actually announced, well, announced maybe the wrong words. I know it was a news item 
Uh, but they revealed that there are a number, they revealed the number of troops from each one of the 10 bases around the United States that have been put on alert to possibly go to the Ukraine. Um, well, well, but subsequently announced that we wouldn't send them into Ukraine, but to the bordering countries. And again, I think sometimes the messages are mixed. I know the American people don't have the stomach for another war. At least that's the message. Um, so this, these troops would be there to protect the borders of other countries or to do something. Um, but I think we have to send a strong message. It's, it's always when you deal with leaders, strong leaders, dictators, others, you have to send a message of consistency and strength. They don't believe your threats, then the threats are meaningless. You can put troops there. If they don't think that they're going to do anything, then it's meaningless. Uh, obviously, Ukraine on its own cannot withstand the Russian army. But, um, I mean, there will be resistance. I think there will be, it could be very bloody. I think that would be terrible on all sides to, to, if that situation actually happens. Could that be why the U.S. leaked this type of information? Again, I don't know if it's a leak or if it was an announcement, but is that just to see at home domestically what the reaction would be? No, I think the release to see what the reaction would be in Russia and to see, to get Putin to understand that we're really committed and we have boots on the ground that we will do the economic sanctions, which are very severe. I mean, they do matter, and that's why I mentioned the economic conditions, so the leverage is even greater in those circumstances. Right. Usually they depend on those sanctions before they even talk about war, though. Yes, yeah, so that that's what we're talking about, right. that we will, I think, why they enumerated some of them and even released information that there would be personal sanctions against uh, against Putin and that they wouldn't have access to, to banking, to American banking systems, to the SWIFT uh, system. That was things that we imposed on, on Iran that had tremendous impact on their economy. America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio, around the world, the web, and NachumSiegel.com, and the NachumSiegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Honline is with us. Boy, do I need your help with this one. What is Pegasus, <laughs> and uh, what role did it or didn't it have in terms of uh, its influence on Arab states, uh, and, uh, such as the UAE and others, to form a peaceful arrangement with Israel? You know, I think people get uh, caught up in the uh, spy stories, and everybody loves, you know, the behind-the-scenes um, expose, exposés of supposed uh, efforts I think this is something that we'll have to wait and see when the information really gets out. Uh, There's so much going on now with sub-themes and um, sub-plots. For instance, on the NSO, the whole story with NSO and and the others, I think, is in large part an effort to destroy the cyber war capacity of Israel and the the demonization of the company and the maybe they did things wrong and they should be held to account, but so do many of these cyber companies um, because they sell something to a government that misuses it. It's not there doing it, but there are maybe legitimate questions. But I see a broader picture here where this is a deliberate drive, and I think you can demonstrate that to, to um, undermine Israel's cyber business, which is huge. You see NSO is being, being, which was a leading company, yeah. uh, being crippled. So, and and too much of this becomes uh, the you know the fanciful stories, and they become expanded. And there's a lot of propaganda going on 
that people don't see as, as propaganda. It cuts online, and it becomes the truth. It becomes a fact, So, and especially when it's an exciting story. So I think that this is, again, something we have to— So N- once better, NSO created this spyware Pegasus, correct? Right. And this spyware can do some remarkable things— Right behind the scenes when right. it comes when it comes to you know the internet etc. Um, and supposedly this was used as a tool to to bring different countries into arrangements with the U.S. with Israel etc. I mean, apparently it's so good this thing. It's such great spyware and so beloved and wanted by pe- by governments around the world. They are willing. Here's the key. They are willing to acquiesce to any of is. I don't want to say any of Israel's demands, but they're willing to acquiesce to deal with Israel, which they normally would not do, in order to get their hands on it. Would that be an, an accurate portrayal? I I don't know, and I hope not. I think that the motivation for joining was, were, were many. I don't think Pegasus played a critical role. That's critical role. There was a lot of negotiations, a lot of discussions, but that's part of the demonization process. That you say that there wasn't legitimate reasons for them to do it. They did it because. Israel held the Pegasus over them, which they did not. And I think, you know, it, it, it exaggerates the influence and role. Look, the, the, the technology is there. Russia, Iran, Russia, others are all using things to manipulate the, the Internet, to, to hold the people hostage, to exposure, to, to ransomware, even criminals uh, manipulate it and, and have systems to do it. Uh, this was not intended for that purpose. It's very sophisticated. This is Israel's cyber industry, and I think this is a, a very severe blow to everybody, not just NSO. And should look. That's why I'm saying, look at the sub teams. Look at the who has stands to gain from it. Who, who, you know, uh, what other agendas are there? Wow. So this this story could be just completely blown out of proportion. Uh, yes, it could be blown out of proportion, or the blame is misappropriated, right. or the you know, how people have technology. We have rockets. You know, rockets can be used to defend countries or rockets can be used to be offensive. It's what the countries do with it, with the technology. It's how it's it's used or manipulated. Uh, again, I don't know enough of the technology right. and understand, the you know, the all the applications. Um, right. The portrayal, though, is that... But the, that, that, but that, that the every- larger image... Is certainly clear, right? But the portrayal is that everyone's desperate for this rocket. In other words, like that's, that's <laughs> yeah. the portrayal that everybody. Well, governments were. Yeah, right. Now and, nobody and wants to touch it. I think a Pegasus. Now nobody wants to touch. People are afraid. Governments are afraid that uh, who, who have to be responsive to public opinion and stuff. There are people, con- uh, con- countries, and companies that con- uh, cancel their contracts with NSO. Wow, unbelievable. Um... ISIS is, uh, even though some of us were under the impression that they're not nearly as active as they were, with what's happened over the last few days, these revelations about hostages that they're keeping, uh, etc., um, it seems that they're, they are much more active than we thought. ISIS has been regrouping. I, I, I did mention it a couple of weeks ago right. that we estimate 10,000 soldiers, others, but the, the real um, highlight became this prison uh, attack, which they uh, where thousands of former ISIS fighters uh, were being held in in Syria, and a number of strikes against uh, military forces in Iraq show that the ISIS in Syria and Iraq is is uh, growing and every regularly, uh, and this is three years after 
they lost uh, the last uh, patch of territory of what was once their uh, caliphate. The U.S. has conducted airstrikes and given intelligence and ground troops um, in the Bradley vehicles, uh, fighting vehicles, to help uh, cordon off the prison. The prison has been taken back, uh, but the cost is very high. And uh, the Kurds were given responsibility for guarding these um, a number of these prisons where former ISIS fighters were held, and a number lost their lives in the in the process. But uh, it, it's an indication and a reminder that ISIS is still around. Yeah. Um, is it a big deal that Hariri is out of the political scene in Lebanon? Yes, it is a big deal, and uh, again, very little attention paid, but. In a sense, it isn't because he's done it before. He left in 2016 to go to Saudi Arabia. He came back again, kicked out again. He, he headed the, uh, the foreign party, and I think that they, that the bottom line is that they're, um, his living, leaving um, could mean that Hezbollah will, will become more assertive. He had 20 members in his party. He was the leader of the Sunnis um, and a, a, rally, a figure around whom they could rally. Um, it, the, there's a lot of uncertainty now about uh, which doesn't bode well for the chances that the government can deal with the horrific economic crisis that Lebanon is uh, is facing, and the electoral there's elections supposedly coming up in in a country that is facing a financial meltdown uh, since the civil war in 1975 till 1990. This is a uh, Really, uh, his his decision to leave the country permanently uh, it leaves a vacuum there, and that Hezbollah was looking to fill it all the time. Uh, and we see the divisions are very deep within society, and um, we'll have to see to, to how they can capitalize on his uh, on his leaving. But you saw Lebanon at the same time announced that they prepared to have renewed talks with Israel over the Mediterranean issues, uh, the land that both of them, uh, area that they both claim in the Mediterranean, which is supposedly oil rich. Um, uh, so we'll have to see whether um, that, in, fi- in fact, uh, moves. And if ever the, the, the 18-year-old U.N. resolution requiring Hezbollah's disarmament will ever become a fact. Who represents Lebanon at talks like that? Do they have a stable government enough to send a representative? Well, they still have President Aoun, who wants to get out. It was uh, was a Christian, was pro-Israel. I met with him during those days. He turned and became a Hezbollah agent, and um, he's still the head of the government. Uh, but the government hardly functions. It's it's. Clearly, it's in shambles. What did you think of the prime minister's statements regarding Iran, that even if there is a deal, Israel will not back down in terms of their plans regarding Iran? Well, I think it's a message to a number of uh, parties, the U.S. included, that uh, with the reports that that Israel, that the United States is moving towards some sort of an interim deal, a less-for-less less deal, I would say, uh, which means that the, each side gives up less. The, the real uh, fallacy in all of this, which I've said many times here, is that you know that they've enriched to 60 percent and they can get to 90 percent, which is weapons level. 
They know that they've been shooting off the rockets, even though they didn't succeed in getting into outer space, but they, they're testing the ballistic missile capacity. That's what they're doing. The, the satellites are secondary or maybe even not important at all because under the U.N. sanctions, they're not supposed to fire or test ballistic missiles, so they say they're doing it as a space program and therefore can continue the ballistic missile research. They worked on weaponization. We know that they're putting in the RS-6s and other very fast centrifuges, which means that even if they give away let's say, the, the stockpile of 60% uranium, they can reproduce it any time. And we, we don't have access to the secret places. They don't let the International Atomic Energy Agency even get into that. And so I think it's a message to the negotiators. By the way, we saw interesting things that just came out now about how the members of the team are are leaving uh, including Richard Nephew, who was the deputy head of the team led by Mali, because they felt that the positions were too weak. And uh, there are at least two others that have been uh, reported to have left. Um, and that it shows that the, the divisions within the group, which can, and, and many who feel that the U.S. is not taking a strong enough stance, but there are others, Jake Sullivan and others, who came out with statements saying that time is running out, we're going to move ahead. Uh, I think they don't want to see a breakdown in the talks if it's not necessary, but if uh, if it is, then uh, the sanctions that they've talked about better be strong, better be immediate, uh, and and move it. We see how the Qatari foreign minister is going to Iran this week. The uh, foreign minister of Iran is going to India. We see Africans there and others there. So they're, they're moving ahead all of this time, and they are now with the price of oil up, their economy is a little better. It's in shambles. The, the currency is worthless. The uh, internal situation of half the country in, in drought. Um, but the upcoming visit of the Emir of Qatar to the United States may have some implications in terms of trying to foster direct U.S.-Iran talks. Iranians have said both things, that they're ready, that they would consider direct talks with the U.S. Others statements saying, no, it can only come after they agree to, to stop uh, it's hard to know, and with tension deflected to the Ukraine, you know nobody even follows what goes on in Geneva generally. So the, um, I mean, U.S. and Israel did meet over it and try to coordinate their positions, and I think the statement reflects the fact that they're not on the same page totally about the tough stand that Israel thinks is, and and all the others in the Middle East think it's really essential, and perhaps the effort to to reach a deal to uh, freeze the, the uh, production at this point. But uh, as I said, I'm not a big believer that that will really set them back. Um, uh, you know, they, they are testing more and more advanced rockets that we saw just in the last, uh, in the last days again. Um, they're moving ahead, the Iranians, all the time on, on their uh, uh, exploration, the projects that they're doing. So we shouldn't rest on anything that uh, anything that the Iranians say. Um, the, the new uh, missiles that they were reported to be uh, working on could go up to 3,000 miles, which means they can hit anything in the European countries as well. And they have now the drones that they gave to the Houthis can hit Israel. They have a 930-mile-kilometer range. Uh, so Iran is not sitting uh, back and... and just waiting for the outcome of the negotiations. They're moving ahead all the time. Is that why we keep hearing about possible reconciliation between Israel and Turkey? Because just as Iran continues to reach out to the neighbors, Israel better make sure to do the same? 
Well, I think the reach out comes uh, even more from Erdogan, who feels more and more isolated, and his economic conditions are terrible, and he knows that he faces uh, a really tough political election in a year or so, and that he has a deadline that on a personal level, a political level, an economic level, his uh, re-election or, or leadership could be challenged. And I think he's he's reaching out to a lot of countries in the region uh, in a very high-profile way, you know, meeting with uh, – there will be a meeting between the president of Israel. We'll visit Turkey next month. And uh, he had a – he phoned – he called – the Erdogan called uh, Herzog to express condolences on his mother's passing. And he um, – you know, they, they – Erdogan does what's pragmatic for Erdogan. In the meantime, he still hosts the Hamas leadership in, in Istanbul. He still continues in some of his, uh, you know, supporting the radical Muslim Brotherhood. It's, it's not a conversion. He's a, he's very clever, and he knows how to change and be a chameleon to, to meet the circumstances. Obviously, we want to see Turkey and Israel in, in good terms. You know, the economic, the business exchanges never went down during all this time. So it means that the people of Turkey didn't back off of, of the relationship with Israel. Um, and as there were there are 11 flights a day during the summer to, to Israel from Turkey uh, for all those who fly Turkish air. And the, um, uh, the community itself there is diminishing and, and smaller and smaller, but he does meet with them and uh, in high-profile ways. So we'll have to see whether this is uh, uh, sheep's and, uh, wolf in sheep's clothing or some sort of a real transformation or how long it will last. Speaking of trips, by the way, you should mention the president of Israel is heading to the UAE as well, um, which is the first place. Next week. Right. Uh, this, yeah, this coming week. Yeah, yeah, this coming Sunday. Also a historic visit. And, uh, you know, the, the, I hear... Arab leaders and others, you know, say, well, now it's a new era, meaning that uh, uh, sort of shifting the onus for everything that happens to to Netanyahu. Uh, that's the underlying theme to say that that's the reason why things are, are better now. Uh, but I think, you know, the, the real circumstances are all the things we talked about, Iran, the, the reality on the ground, things moving forward. They see the UAE benefiting and signing a new deal. There was this $95 million Commitment the two countries made to advancing um, uh, high-tech companies in both countries uh, and many other things that are in, in the offing and these huge funds that are being created to, to encourage investment, mutual investment and exchanges. So this is, uh, I think that's also a, a motivator to others. Uh, we should mention, by the way, because we spoke about Holocaust Remembrance Day, that, uh, and, and I know this is going on you know, in so many contexts around the country, not just Jewish stuff, uh, but there's a county school board in Tennessee that voted to ban the uh, graphic novel, as it says, about the Holocaust, uh, Mouse, by uh, Art Spiegelman. And, I th- and it was a 10 nothing vote, by the way. And I know that this is a, you know, a trend in general, book banning, uh, at the moment here in the United States by school boards, etc. But I thought we should point that out, that all these little battles are being lost nationwide uh, as we try to you know, keep books like that in prominent places uh, in our schools. Yes. And the, well, the argument that the school board used is that there are inappropriate pictures and other things, and that they had a vote of 10 to 0. Um, they say they're not going to stop their Holocaust education efforts, but just uh, they felt that this book was inappropriate for kids. It's being used in many places, which do not deem it until now inappropriate. 
Um, why did Israel buy so many Novavax vaccines? I didn't even know that, what the Novavax company is. Is it a new vaccine that's out? No, but they're, they're trying to buy enough for the fourth shot. Wow. That, um, you know, Israel today still is having record numbers and per capita probably the highest record, um, the highest number in the world, at least has reported. Uh, and hopefully it's going to peak and it's expected to peak in the next uh, week and then decline as it has in parts of the United States, including in New York. Uh, and they are, uh, but Israel's trying to stay a step ahead with the, um, and there are other new vaccines that are being invented and the new pills, which some in Israel, doctors in Israel said they think that everybody will just take a pill once a year or a shot once a year for a while. There are new variants that have been discovered, including here in the United States and New York, but Nobody knows what the, what they will mean. But travel to Israel right now is open, I guess, under the proper circumstances. If you you have to be fully vaccinated and within a certain time limit, and you file the papers, yes, and you have to take you know tests when you leave before you leave, and when you come, like you do in most countries. And um, so, so now Israel's uh, opening for business, and slowly but surely, we see people, tourists are coming back, airplane flights are full. Uh, and hopefully that will be, as spring comes, we will see a new dawning of, of people being able to go to Israel freely and see their kids, their families, uh, holy places, everything. Let's hope. Let's hope. Malcolm, I thank you. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak again next week. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Friday, 740 a.m. Eastern Time for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Candlelighting at 448 in New York. 448 is candlelighting time. Uh, well, Ben Trosh Chodesh Adar 1, the first of the two months of Adar. Uh, Rosh Chodesh Adar Aleph will be Tuesday and Wednesday. Again, we Ben Trosh Chodesh tomorrow. The first month of Adar uh, will be commemorated as Rosh Chodesh on Tuesday and Wednesday of next week. This time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual leader emeritus, Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Mishpatim. Wow. Parshas Mishpatim, according to the Chinuch, contains 23 positive mitzvos, 30 restrictions, 53 mitzvos, and these 53 mitzvos constitute a great part of the foundation for so much of our oral law, so much of nizikin, the interpersonal relationship between man and man, and not only Nazikin, but Nashim, the relationship, the moral relationship, and the relationship between husband and wife, and even other parts of our Torah Shabbal Peh are all based upon Parshas Mishpatim, a very rich Parsha. And the probably most important letter in this parsha is the very first letter, the Vav, Ve'ela, and these are the laws. And Rashi teaches us on the pa- very first pasuk the very powerful idea that the Vav 
is a vav of continuation. And what is the Torah teaching us? That just as in last week's parsha of Yisro, whereby we are taught the Ten Commandments, we are taught of the revelation of HaKadosh Baruch Hu to the Jewish nation at Sinai, and it's clear that the Ten Commandments was given to the Jewish nation by God Himself at Sinai. Similarly, Ve'ele, the laws that are found in Mishpatim, are all a continuation. They too, T-O-O, were given to the Jewish people directly from Hashem. So the laws that govern man-to-man in Judaism are so different from the laws of any other society. Why? Because every other society, the laws are made by man. Once laws are made by man, laws can be changed by man. After all, a man made it that was appropriate for those times. Now, different times, and we can change the law. However, if the law comes from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, if it comes from God Himself, this law is immutable. And that's why it is so significant, that very first letter. And so, I'd like to share with you a famous concept, uh, which is applicable to this week's parsha, whereby the Gemara in Bavakama, page Ayintes Amid Bey 79b, tells us that the students of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai asked their Rebbe the following question. What's the reason Hechmira Torah Beganov Yoser Migazlan? Why is it that the Torah was more strict regarding a thief than a rabba? A ganov, a thief, is one who steals surreptitiously, one who steals in secret, as opposed to a gazlon, who, a robber, who steals out in the open. After all, the halacha says that a ganov pays double. A gazlon, a ganov is the one who steals secretly. He pays double. A gazlon, one, a robber, who steals out in the open, he only pays the keren, the principal. What's the reason for this? And he answered them the following. Ze, the robber, hishva, Kvod Eved Likvod Kono. The robber is the one who equates the honor of man with the honor of Hashem, as meaning he's not afraid of either. So, since he's not afraid of either and he steals out in the open, that which he stole, he has to pay back. But Vizer, the thief, Lo Hishva, Kvod Eved, 
Likvod Kono, the thief, does not equate the honor of the servant to the honor of the master, meaning that the thief is more afraid of man than he is of God. After all, he looks around to make sure. Well, not just looks around to make sure. Rather, he steals, breaking in where, quote-unquote, nobody is home, nobody is going to see him. So he is afraid of man, but he's not afraid of God who is watching him. So think about it. The punishment as to why he pays double has nothing to do with the victim of his crime. It has to do with his character, that there's a flaw in the character of the Ganov. Amazing. Now, remember, we began by saying that this answer is coming by Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, who was asked by his students, and he gives this answer, which is an exceedingly important one. I'd like to take you, however, to another Gemara. The first one was Bavakamwa, 79b. And now, let's take a peek at the Gemara in Brachos 28b, whereby Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai is on his deathbed. And he tells his students why he is crying, why he's afraid to die, that he is afraid to meet his maker, and who knows where he's going to go. Whoa, just that itself should send a shudder up our spine, that if he wasn't sure where he's going, ay ay ay, what personal lessons each of us should take from that Gemara. But then the Gemara goes on to tell us, Amrulo, the students of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai said to their Rebbe prior to his passing, Rabbeinu Barachenu, Rebbe bless us, give us a bracha, how we should lead our lives. Amalahem, and he said to them an incredible answer, Yehiratzon, May it be the will of God that the fear of heaven should be upon you like the fear of man. Whoa, you should fear heaven, fear God, as much as you fear man. So the students said to the Rebbe, that's as far as we should fear God as much as man, and no more. After all, shouldn't the fear of God be greater than the fear of man? And what did he answer them? Halavai. He said to them, Were it only so that what? That the fear of God was at least equivalent to the fear of man. Because Tedu, he said, just think about it and know this. When a person commits a sin in private, Omer Lo, he says, Adam, Oh, that no one should see me doing this. Meaning, no individual. He's afraid of man. And once again, not 
afraid of God. If you think about it, the same Rebbe Yochanan ben Zakkai is the one who is featured in both Gemaras. What emerges and what is so exciting is that Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai was one of the greatest leaders, teachers of the Jewish people. His students were not your average student. They were as well exceptional individuals. Now think about it. The Gemara, where Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai taught that why does the Ganav pay double and the Gazlan pays only the principal that he stole, it's because the Ganav was lacking that which the students of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai was lacking, meaning he was putting them on that same level. How could it be? How do you compare a Ganov to a student of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai? And the answer is because Yiras Shamayim, the fear of God, is so basic, is so fundamental, that even a Ganov is held accountable for his not having a complete sense of Yiras Shamayim. Now, This is something that I believe each and every one of us has to realize that it is within our potential. That's what the Gemara is teaching us, that each and every one can, must have and work at this very basic core belief of Yerashamayim. Yerashamayim is fear of heaven, and you should know that literally on the first page of the Shulchan Aruch, the Be'er Halacha, the Chofetz Chaim in his commentary, tells us that there are six mitzvos to diros. There are six mitzvos that the Jew is to have with him literally all the time. One I don't have time to enumerate all of them. It's found literally beginning on the first page, spilling over to the second side of the uh, Mishnah Brura. And the Chofetz Chaim tells us, well, the first is to believe that there is a God. The fourth is to love God. And the fifth of the six constant mitzvos is Leos a person should have the fear of God literally upon himself, preventing the person from sinning. How does one acquire it? Each one has to work at it, but clearly, one, by having a personal relationship with Hashem, realizing all the good that Hashem does for them, how much we owe him personally in return. And going further, your davening. The more you daven and understand and appreciate your prayer, the more you're going to have that personal relationship with God. Da, no, dayan ayin, dayan ayin, no, 
before whom you are standing, namely that we are literally praying to God. Moreover, I'm going to suggest talk to him, literally talk to him during the day when things are going good. Say, thank you, Hashem, and forgive me when things are going a little bit challenging. Talk to him. Help me, Hashem. I need you. The more we have this kind of a personal rapport, the easier it's going to be for a person to work on, develop, cultivate his Yiras Shemayim. Think about it. We're talking not only as to prevent a person from sinning, but the way you talk, the way you talk to others, the way you talk to your children, if you have the awareness that, whoa, you're, quote, no one is home, no one is watching, no one is listening, haha, but Hashem is, you're not going to lose it. You're going to have a greater sense of calm, a greater sense of appreciation that the privilege you have of relating to children as opposed to, God forbid, yelling at them in an inappropriate fashion. And so, amazing what stems from the very basic halacha that we are all familiar with, which is that the ganov pays double, and the gazlon only pays the principal. What emerges is the core character of man, how proud we are of our mishpatim, uh, because as we say in our tefillos every day, umishpatim bal yudaum, which means all nations have laws, but how different are our laws than theirs, because our laws refine our character. Shabbat shalom to all.
Hard to hear that song and not think of the great Lobo. 
Uh, dedicate that to his memory every time we play it, the great uh, Chaim Silber. Chaim Shel Shalom will bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow, and Erev on on Parshas Mishpatim. Rosh Chodesh Adar Aleph will be Tuesday and Wednesday. Rosh Chodesh Adar Aleph Tuesday and Wednesday. Leif Tahar with Birchas Chodesh. Shabbos takes me home. That was Eli Schwabel. JM in the AM Friday. A few minutes to go here at JM in the AM as we continue until nine o'clock. At ten o'clock, it's the Kedem presentation of the Erev Shabbos show. We'll do that at uh, 10 a.m., courtesy of our friends at Kedem and hosted by Mark Zamek. That's between um, 10 and 1. Our Arab Shabbos music mix brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. The final hour brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem starts at about 10 minutes to 4 Eastern time. Tomorrow night, Avrami with Saturday Night Siegel. Matis with Sunday's JM Sunday starting at 7 a.m. Eastern time. Make sure to always be tuned in to the Nahum Siegel Network. You'll be glad. You did that, I could tell you. Hello to our friends at A&H. A reminder that Abel's and Hyman offers you 10% off when you use promo code radio at kosherdogs.net. Sunday is Championship Sunday, which means we're two weeks away from the Super Bowl, one of the best grilling days of the year. Uh, A&H reminds you they have everything you need for a delicious and incredible Super Bowl party. That is 100% true. And everything at kosherdogs.net is 10% off when you use promo code radio. Try A&H today. You'll be glad you did. That is an understatement. More coming up. You're listening to JM in the AM. Shimti Shmoiru, 
One of the great Nigunim of Moshe Goldman with the Camp Shalva Boys Choir, Anim Zmiros. Benny Friedman's lease on egg before that in honor of Shabbos. Friday morning on this era of Shabbos, Parshas Mishpatim. Moben Rosh Chodesh tomorrow, Rosh Chodesh Adar Aleph will be Tuesday and Wednesday. Keep that in mind as we get set for Shabbos Mavarchim here at JM in the AM. Time to say good Shabbos with Journeys at JM in the AM.
Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners' sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSingle.com and the NachumSingle Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app. Wraps up an amazing week here at JMN. My thanks again to uh, Mayor Ferdig and Avrami Finkelstein for sitting in earlier in the week. And a reminder, Mark Zomik is coming up at 10 o'clock with the Kedem presentation of the Arab Shabbos show. Make sure to be tuned in for that. Matis Sunday morning starting at 7 a.m. with JM Sunday. Tomorrow night it's Avrami and Rabbi Eliezer's Wickler with Saturday Night Siegel. Tune in at 9 o'clock. Amazing programming always. And thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks so much for listening. Have a fabulous Shabbos. Wonderful weekend. Until next week, Nahum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future. <laughs>